this morning. Welcome those who are visiting with us and those watching online as well. And may we know a blessed day as we come together and as we worship our Lord and our God in spirit and in truth. We're going to commence our worship by turning in our hymnals to the Psalm 130. The Psalm 130 at the section of Psalms at the back of the hymnal. 130, Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear unto my supplications voice, give an attentive ear. The Psalm 130 will stand as we worship, please. seated. We're turning 
in the Word of God to Acts chapter 20, uh, the 20th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And we'll read from verse 28, uh, familiar words uh, to us, uh, but as we are considering uh, 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications for eldership, uh, we are thinking of the role and the work and the labor of the elder. And so we have uh, that here in Acts 20. And the Word of God says, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not spurring the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His precious word this morning. Let us come before the Lord and let us pray and asking for His blessing to be upon us as we worship and upon his flock here. And as we pray, let's remember our brother Vern. Uh, brother went into hospital uh, a few days ago, and so uh, do remember to pray uh, for him. And do remember brother Colin's mother. Uh, she went into hospital uh, yesterday, and uh, the family certainly appreciate and need uh, the prayers of the Lord's uh, people. I haven't received an update yet from our brother Colin, uh, but we'll probably have one uh, this evening. So do uh, pray uh, for uh, his mother and the family at this time. Let us seek the Lord. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we rejoice today we can come into thy presence through our Savior, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. And we thank thee we can sing thy praises and we can rejoice, O God, in thy so great salvation. And we thank Thee for that plenteous redemption uh, that Thou uh, didst uh, give to us through Thy Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank Thee that as Thy people we can rest upon Thee, the One who is our shield and our defender. We rejoice, O God, that Thou art our comfort, our only comfort in life and in death. And we thank Thee today that we can come and cast our care at the feet of the Savior, and knowing that He careth for us. And we bring the needs of our congregation before Thee. We thank Thee we can gather together in Thy name, and we desire that we would know Thy presence and hear the speaking voice of Thy Spirit today, that through Thy Word that He would move within our hearts and apply it to our lives. And our Father, we are mindful as well of uh, the many needs that we have as Thy people. We do think of our families 
and the needs that we face day by day. Think of the great need of salvation. And we pray for those in our families who are outside of the kingdom of God, who've never turned from sin, who've never repented, who've never placed their faith and their trust in the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And our Father, today we pray that Thou would move in hearts, Thou would draw sinners to Thyself. And Father, we pray for those here who are outside of the kingdom of God. Lord, deliver them, we pray. We rejoice and we thank Thee that salvation is of the Lord. And we look to Thee that Thou would move here in these days. And Father, we think of those who are in need as well. We do remember especially our brother Vern. We lay his needs before Thee. And Father, the needs of the family also. Lord, we pray that our brother would know Thy help and Thy strength and Thy presence. We do remember brother Colin and his family. And we think of his mother at this time. And we pray, Father, that Thou would have Thy hand upon her have thy hand upon this situation, and we pray that thou would be pleased to be the great physician. We look to thee, and we look to the needs of others as well, and we thank thee that thou art the great physician, and thou art the one who does care for us. Father, we think especially of the great need of spiritual healing across our land, and we pray that thou would be pleased to through the preaching of Thy Word and through the work of Thy Spirit, draw sinners to Thyself and move in this area. Save souls, we pray. Enable us as Thy church to fulfill that great commission of going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. Lord, we pray Thou would bless the radio work as well. We think of the Reverend Colliger. We lay uh, that need before Thee. We remember Calvin also. And we pray that he would know thy healing touch. Lord, we think of the radio ministry and we pray that thou would meet the needs of this ministry and bless it as thy word goes forth. We pray that thou would build thy church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we rejoice in that promise. And we rejoice, O God, that thou art upon the throne. We rejoice that Christ has that great victory that overcometh the world. And may we as thy people, as we face a culture and a society that detests the word of God, Lord, may we not hide away, but may we live for thee, and may we live victoriously for thee, because we do have that victory that overcomes the world. May we not be defeatist, but may we go forward for thee, rejoicing in thy power, and rejoicing that thou art with us, and rejoicing in thy gospel. And meet our needs today, we pray, we ask thee that thou would sanctify us, that thou would work within our hearts, that we would flee sin, that sin would not have the dominion over us, but we would know the power of Christ working within our lives. Lord, we pray that thou would bless thy word to our hearts, and teach us and instruct us uh, that we would live for Thee, that we would uh, know the power of sanctification within our hearts, that we would live as examples that testify of the saving power of our God. 
Lord, do us good, we pray. Bless us in worship and meet our needs, we humbly ask. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals, the hymn 362. 362, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed. 362, we'll stand as we sing, please. seated, be seated. Of course, that hymn was penned uh, by the hymn writer Top Lady, and the story is told how he was in a storm, uh, nowhere to shelter, but he found a rock, the cleft of a rock, and there he sheltered from the storm. And later he wrote the words of that hymn, Rock of Ages. And we th think of that account which led to the writing of that hymn, uh, we can think of the great storm of life that we are in, the great storm that will come over the soul of those who know not the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the question is, do you know the rock, the rock of shelter, the rock of safety, uh, the rock of age is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Redeemer. This point, we want to give another warm word of welcome to each one, those who are visiting and those watching online as well. Uh, we welcome each one in the Savior's name, and we trust the Lord to bless our time together as we worship uh, with the Lord and as we fellowship with each other as well. Uh, do you remember the uh, Lord's Day services for the remainder of this day? 5.30 tonight, we have our prayer meeting downstairs, and then at 6 p.m. we have our evening worship, and as it is the last Lord's Day in the month, uh, we will have our food and fellowship. I forgot to put it on the bulletin. I think I forgot to put a few things on the bulletin. Uh, we printed it out early this week uh, because everything in the office had to be taken out and unplugged and uh, wasn't used uh, until uh, yesterday, this morning, uh, because of uh, the new carpet. And so it was produced early, uh, but food and fellowship should be on the bulletin. And we do encourage you to come. If it's not your usual practice, uh, to come in the evenings. Uh, then we encourage you to come, come sit under the Lord's Word, come worship together, and then have a time of fellowship and some food after. And we do ask those uh, who are staying to bring something uh, to share with one another, please. Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., there's our Bible study and prayer meeting in the prayer room and on Zoom, and so do uh, remember uh, that. Or it is on the bulletin. Uh, I need to read uh, the bulletin better. Uh, but Sunday, uh, it's the 28th today. It's the wrong date on the bulletin. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get it sorted for next week, uh, the dates. Uh, but Tuesday, the 30th of January, uh, do remember the Toronto Zoom Women's Bible Study at 4 uh, p.m. And then on Saturday, we have our women's breakfast at 9 a.m., the men's prayer meeting at 7.30 p.m. And then we have uh, our Sunday, uh, next Lord's Day, 9.30 is the Sunday school, uh, 10.30, worship with the Lord's table, and then 5.30 is the prayer meeting, 6, the evening service. So do uh, remember uh, those things. And on Monday, the 5th of February, we have a session and board meeting uh, here in the church. And uh, we do uh, thank each one who helped uh, with the new carpet. Uh, it was installed this week. There are still a few finishing touches. Uh, there's uh, some bits missing from just below me here. Uh, there's a few other things need to be done this week. Uh, but we do thank all who came, uh, who came not only yesterday, but uh, throughout uh, the past number of weeks to help, and especially yesterday, because yesterday uh, the pews were way over here, the office furniture was here, uh, the pulpit uh, was, was down there, uh, the organ was over here, and so there's a lot of work put in by the men uh, who came to help. Uh, there was some uh, cleaning had to be done as well, and uh, it looks good. We thank each one for their help, and uh, we trust uh, the Lord uh, would indeed bless you uh, for your help for His service. Do you remember the Western Canada Family Conference? We announced this Lord, uh, last Lord's Day. It is a venture by our congregation here in Cloverdale and uh, the congregation in Prince George. We're having a family conference in Williams Lake on the Labor Day weekend, August the 30th to September the 1st. Uh, the preacher is the Reverend John Wagner. And there are leaflets now available. 
And if you didn't get one on the way in, take one on the way out, and certainly uh, consider attending. We welcome each one to come up and to uh, be in Williams Lake for that weekend and to have fellowship with us. If you can't come, certainly pray uh, for the Lord's blessing in uh, that work and that labor. Few are perhaps uh, considering baptism, and if you've never been uh, baptized as a believer and uh, it's been something on your mind, you would like to get baptized uh, in the future, uh, do speak to us. Uh, the holding of a baptismal service in the future is something that is under consideration. And uh, if there are others who are interested as well, uh, then uh, do come and do speak to us, and we can talk to you about uh, that matter. And of course, it is the Lord's command uh, for His people to be baptized. Uh, we considered the importance of that just a few months ago. And so if it is on your mind, you've been challenged about that, then don't hesitate and do speak to us, please. Uh, these are all the announcements, the subject to uh, the will of God. And we're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 243. Come thou fount of every blessing. We'll remain seated while uh, the tithes and offerings for the Lord's work are received. God and Father, we thank Thee, Lord, that we can gather together in this house. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy goodness to us. We ask that You would take our tithes and our offerings and that You would bless them and use them. We pray that the gospel message would go forth. We pray for the message here in this sanctuary today, that You would be with our pastor. We ask that You would bless him, encourage him, and give him unction from above to preach that message You've laid on his heart and work in the hearts of each and every one. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand to sing hymn 243, the third verse. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Standing, please.
We're turning in the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're dealing with the qualifications for the eldership in our series in 1 Timothy. And uh, we didn't get as far as we would have liked last Lord's Day, um, but uh, we will be here today and next week in the will of God, and then we'll move into the deacons, and there are some aspects regarding the deacons that are similar to the office of the elder, um, but those that are uh, more specifically mentioned here we'll consider. And so uh, both the elder and the deacon are referred to in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the apostle gives direction as to who these men should be, uh, the men within the church and within positions of leadership uh, within the church, uh, because if bad men are in a good work, uh, then what happens to that good work? It is not so good. Uh, but there is a need for good men, uh, because this is a good and honorable and a noble work. And so, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, the Word of God says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. And may the Lord bless the Word of God to our hearts this morning. Let us unite together and pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word. And certainly uh, the time of prayer, yes, the preacher is praying, uh, but pray yourself and pray in your own heart that the Lord would open up His Word to you, uh, that He would teach you, uh, that though we're dealing with the subject of elders here, uh, that uh, he would have something for you, something for you to take away, something for you to learn uh, regarding uh, not only the subject of eldership, but also uh, the subject of Christian living, uh, because that is what we have here as well. Let us pray. Our loving Father and our eternal God, we thank Thee we can come again to Thy truth. We rejoice in the importance of it. We realize here, as the Apostle sets out uh, these qualifications for the leaders of the Church of Christ, Father, we realize that uh, there is a great significance here. We're not to simply ignore what the Apostle is writing. We're to take it upon our hearts. We're to consider it. We're to pray over it. We're to practice these things ourselves within our lives. But we pray for Thy Church. We remember our denomination and the need for men as pastors and elders, and we pray that Thou would be pleased to raise up men, 
men who are exactly as commanded here, men who are blameless, men who are faithful, and men who are not ashamed of the Word of God, men who love their God and who love their Savior, men who love the people of God. And Father, we pray that as we come to this passage, that as we look at the eldership, that we would not see elders as those who are above us, maybe unreachable or faceless, those who exert authority from a high place, but may we see them as brethren in the Lord. May we see them as men that Thou hast given to Thy church, men who love our souls, men who love Thy people, men who love Thy truth. And Father, we pray that as we consider all of these things, Thou would move us to pray for men and to pray, Lord, that here in this congregation that all the men and leadership that Thou hast given to us would be men who love Thee, and men who live for Thee, men who love Thy flock. Lord, we are fellow, fellow laborers together, fellow servants, fellow members of Thy church. And we pray for this great love, this bond between us, even as we consider the truth of God this day, and as we labor for Thee. Lord, bless us, do us good. And apply thy word to our hearts, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The work of an elder being a noble and honorable work is a, man, a work that desires and needs good, godly men to labor in it. Uh, we considered uh, last Lord's Day uh, the importance of some of these qualifications uh, the apostle details to us that this is a good work, and therefore there must be good men. And how do we define good men? How do we define the right kind of man for the work of God? Uh, well, the apostle gives that to us in the work of God, in the Word of God. He tells us that a bishop or an elder, the terms are interchangeable, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, of good behavior. And that is what we considered last Lord's Day that the bishop must be blameless, that he must be a man above reproach, that he must live a godly and righteous life. And that, of course, applies to each of us whom the Lord has saved and whom the Lord has redeemed. So, as we consider the importance of these qualifications, we need to pray. We need to pray that God will raise up men in this congregation in future days. The Lord would raise up men within our denomination in future days. Men who are exactly the kind of men the apostle says that need to be elders. Godly men. Men who love the Savior. Men who exhibit these practical aspects of Christianity. And of course, we realize that every believer should live a life of godliness by the grace of God. And so, I want us then to continue with what we had last week. We considered the qualification of morality. 
Uh, but we come uh, now, secondly, to the qualification of love and care. The qualification of love and care. In verse 2, we read that a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. The spiritual leader within the congregation must be one who is given to love and care. And how do we see that? We see that in this term. He is given to hospitality. He must be hospitable. Now, that does not mean that before a man can be an elder, he has to go to some college in the local area and find out how to cook and how to cook a good meal to invite people around to be hospitable. And that's not what the apostle is saying. He is not to be an expert in the hospitality industry. If he can cook, that's great. Uh, but that is not specifically what is being said. It means friendly and welcoming. The elder, the man who is appointed by God and by the congregation to lead, must be friendly. He must be welcoming. There should be that characteristic within his life that manifests itself practically in love and care for the brethren and others. And where does this friendliness come from? Where does this welcoming nature come from? Where does this hospitable character come from? It comes from the Lord's love and from the Lord's work within his life. And when we think of the Savior, the Savior had a desire that his servants feed his sheep. And there in John 21, the Savior challenges Peter and he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. There's a work to be done here. And the sheep are to be fed, the lambs are to be fed. We've mentioned before, at some stage recently, dogs, and how dogs were seen as wild animals and as animals that were unclean. The Savior doesn't say, feed my dogs. He doesn't say, uh, when we think of other unclean animals, feed my pigs. The Savior says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And what is the connection here? It's a connection of love. It's a connection of care because the Savior is the great shepherd of his sheep. He is one who cares and one who loves his flock. We can think of Acts 20 and verse 28. We read it this morning. We'll turn to that passage shortly. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And Paul is saying, the church, it's a flock. It's not a pack of wolves or a pack of dogs. It is a flock of sheep. And the pastor, the elder, is a shepherd under the authority of Christ who oversees that flock, who comes in a spirit of love and care. Savior spoke of those shepherds in Israel that divided the flock and caused issues within the flock. The elder is not to do that. The elder has a love for the flock that is grounded in Christ. And our love for the brethren, dear believer, as elders or as members of the body of Christ, that love has its foundation in the love of Christ for us. 
Because without Christ, we would be utterly unaware of the love that we ought to have for the brethren. If we knew nothing of Christ, we would come to church today and we would sit knowing nothing of His salvation, knowing nothing of His grace, knowing nothing of His love that He outpoured upon Calvary to save sinners. And we would look around and see each other and we would not have that bond because we were in sin. And we would not have that unity because we know not Christ. And we would not have that love because we're not part of the same family of God. We're separated. We're separated. But you who are saved and redeemed, you come together. You worship God together. You sing His praises. There's a love and there's a bond because of Christ. And the elder sees that bond and knows that bond and has experienced that bond. And he works to strengthen that bond. He's friendly. He's welcoming. He's filled with love and care. He's hospitable. Hospitable. The elder is to show love and hospitality. Often that is to strangers. To strangers. In Genesis chapter 18, we see that Abraham hosted angels. Uh, we can see as well that hospitality was necessary for the early church and the spread of the gospel. Paul stayed in the home of Lydia in Philippi, and many of the early believers opened their homes for the spread of the gospel. And many a time when I've been preaching uh, here and there and everywhere over the years, in England and Wales and Scotland and in Australia and in Canada, homes have been opened to me for hospitality, maybe for staying a few nights. And there has been hospitality by fellow believers for the furtherance of the work of God, to put a roof over the preacher's head, to feed the preacher, to take care of him, to bring him to the services. There was a place that was far away from his home. And so hospitality is a typical Christian practice. It has been practiced by Christians throughout the generations. And the apostle is saying here that the elder is to be an example in this. He's to be given to hospitality. He's to be caring. He's to be welcoming. If we look at some of these other characteristics as well uh, of good behavior and being blameless, blameless and patient, he's to be a man that is spoken of highly within the congregation and within society for his love and his grace toward others. So there's a level of hospitality for every believer. There's a level of hospitality to be extended on behalf of the church, and it is a good thing to practice. Around the dinner table, there's opportunity to talk about spiritual matters. You're showing love and kindness uh, by that friendliness and by providing for others and showing care and love. And I believe all of this comes under the umbrella of love. The elder is to have that qualification of love and care. And if the elders of a congregation show love and show care, is that not a great thing? Is that not a wonderful thing? Is that something... Dear believer, that you desire to do to show love and to show care and show compassion to others, to be hospitable to them, to help in their needs, 
to help provide whatever you can to them, given to hospitality, coming from that heart of Christ, a heart of love, a heart of care. And we see, secondly, this morning, but thirdly, overall, the qualification of teaching. The qualification of teaching. And we see that at the end of verse 2. The apostle says, a bishop then must be apt to teach. Apt to teach. And this is a vital part of the overseer's work. Being apt to teach or skillful or qualified in teaching. The elder is to be one who is able to teach. And now if we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and the verse 17, uh, we see that the apostle says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And so we have two types of elders, and we take that from this verse, verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5. There's a ruling elder and a teaching elder, but yet, in a way, both are to be apt in teaching. Both are to be apt in teaching. Now, what do I mean by that? There's a high level of specific teaching from the teaching elder. He's set aside by God and by the church to be in that position to work in the Word, to minister the Word. But the ruling elders must also be apt to teach, but not necessarily in a pulpit ministry. I know many elders, and some would not even stand in the pulpit to give the announcements to the congregation. Public speaking is not for them. Does that mean they're unqualified to be an elder? No. But they are still apt to teach. They know what they believe. They seek to practice that and teach that through their practice. They govern the practices of the church through what they know and believe, and they teach in that way. They teach when it comes to prayer, and they teach as they seek to encourage the young and others within the church, there is a teaching ministry, although it is different from the teaching elder. But the elder who, in every aspect of his life within the church, teaches. He might not be in the pulpit. He may not open to a particular passage. He may not preach a three-point sermon. But in his life and his ministry and in the rule that he engages in within the church, he is teaching and instructing. And so therefore, the teaching elder, the ruling elder, is to be able to be a teacher and to know the truth and to teach that truth. John Calvin said that an elder must have wisdom in knowing how to apply God's Word for the profit of the people. And we can think of that specifically in regard to the teaching elder. He is to be apt to teach one of the great problems within the church over the centuries is that those who, there are those who teach who are unqualified to do so, not merely regarding theological education. Not every man who preaches will have a theological education, but those who are also spiritually unqualified. Another danger is that there are young men who are unqualified and untrained who don't know or believe the doctrines of the church and the church's influence through they're preaching against those doctrines. That's why the Westminster Divines spoke about who should preach and teach. And they were speaking of this in a long-term sense. But they asked the question, who should preach the Word of God? The Word of God should be preached only by those who are sufficiently gifted and who are properly approved and called to do so, looking at the long-term ministry of the Word of God specifically. 
How should those who are called preach the Word of God? Those who are called to labor in the ministry of the Word should preach sound doctrine accurately in season and out of season clearly and not with seductive words of human wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. They should faithfully and fully express the whole counsels of God. Uh, this should be done wisely. And they continue, and they speak about a, a zeal and a fervent love for souls and a fervent love for God. And so, they place a great emphasis upon the importance of that role of the teaching elder. And about those who hear that teaching, they should hear the word preached and they must pay per careful attention. They prepare themselves and they pray and they accept the truths in Scripture faithfully, lovingly, humbly, etc. So there's a great duty placed upon the hearer and placed upon those who teach the word of God. The elder is to be apt to teach. And there's a twofold aspect of this. The elder is to be apt to teach, but first, in order to be apt to teach, and we see this in what the divines are saying, those who are called to labor in the ministry of the Word should preach sound doctrine. How do you know sound doctrine? Well, you have to learn it. You have to be taught it. The elder who is apt to teach should be taught the Word of God. And that is an aspect of what we have here. To be able to be up to teach, he must first be taught. He must first be taught of Christ and salvation, like everyone. He must be taught his need of a Savior. He must be taught his sinful state, and that only the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, can redeem him. And the elder must be a man who truly knows Christ and has been taught those basic truths of Christianity. And dear congregation, do you believe today? Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe in that which makes you wise unto salvation, the gospel of Christ? And do you believe that He has saved you and redeemed you? Oh, that you would make that first step in being taught by the Savior and looking to Him as your Savior and as your Redeemer. And so the elder must be teachable. Teachable regarding salvation and believing in Christ. But in Christian doctrine, he must be teachable. And of course, this does not mean, as we've said before, that as soon as an elder becomes an elder, well, they need to then practice this teachable spirit. It should already be there. It should already be within the heart of the people of God. We consider this morning uh, Proverbs 23, verse 23, buy the truth and sell it not. And every one of us, we are to buy the truth of God. We're not to give it away. We're to buy it and store it within our hearts that it would change our lives, that it would build us up in our faith. Every one of us, but specifically the elder, must have a teachable heart. I think that's important. It's important today because pride takes over. And the elder or pastor can think that he knows everything. And that goes beyond an experienced outlook. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. Pride tells the elder or the pastor or the believer, you know enough now. You know enough. Pride can tell a man within a congregation, you know enough, you know more than everybody else. You should be the elder. 
because of the knowledge that you have. You don't need people to teach you. And there's a great danger of pride. And Paul deals with this moving down the passage into verse 6, and we'll consider that next week. Not a novice, but being lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And Paul's saying pride is an issue here. There's a warning about pride. Men can be elevated to position within the church, and the devil can work within their hearts, and they can be filled and lifted up with pride instead of humbly serving the Savior. It's a great danger. And the right response to critiquing and criticism is a very important part of having a teachable spirit, examining ourselves and looking by God's Spirit to see if that criticism is true. If it is, we need to be taught if it is true. And we need to be taught in order to change it. Too many elders and pastors in pride will turn around and criticize those who bring the concerns in order to defend themselves. They're not teachable. They're defensive. They're not teachable. They won't even access the issue or think or pray about the issue. And immediately the shot is fired. They take evasive maneuvers. They take their ship. They turn it around and they point their cannons. And they fire without hesitation. The role of the elder is not to defend himself by taking out those who challenge him and those who have legitimate grounds and questions and are seeking help and asking. I've seen genuine concerns brought forward and pride. Pride affects the answer. How sad that is. What Paul is saying here, the elders to be apt to teach and to be able to be apt to teach, there has to be a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. Lord, teach me to love thy flock. Lord, teach me to love thy word. Lord, teach me to love the stand of thy church. Love me to, teach me to love standing for the truth of God. Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me everything that I need to know. Teach me by thy grace. Teach me that I may be able to teach others. The position of the elder within the congregation <coughs> is one which is dependent upon the Lord. Our sufficiency is of the Lord. And therefore, there has to be a teachable spirit because the Lord needs to teach us through His sufficiency. Through His sufficiency. Dear believer, do you pray for a teachable spirit? Do you have a teachable spirit? It's a qualification of the eldership, but it's a qualification to be a Christian as well because the Christian life is one of being taught. And sometimes we are taught things that we don't like. Sometimes we are taught things about ourselves that the flesh gets angry about. Well, we need to have a humble, teachable spirit. A spirit of love toward the Lord. A spirit of love toward His Word. Do you believe or do you desire to be taught clearly and plainly the Word of God, that your heart would embrace the truth of God, whether that is difficult for you, whether that cuts across sin within your life, the Lord would teach you. Teaching is such a vital aspect of this work. Those who are in it 
And teaching, of course, comes out of this work towards the congregation in general. Do we desire to be taught the Word of God? Do we desire to learn what His Word says? Then we need to pray that we would be teachable. And we need to pray for teachable elders and teachable pastors. I've known sound evangelical men who've went to churches and they've preached on sin and they've preached on salvation. And the elders have called the man to the side and they've said, don't do that. We don't want you to preach on these things. We don't want you to challenge men and women about hell and about sin. That is not what we do here. And the elders step out of the framework of Scripture and the framework of their role as elders. Why? They've shut the door to being taught, not only about their office, but about presenting the great truths of Christianity. And it's a problem. There's one of our churches in Ulster, one of the early free Presbyterian churches, and there was a man who was the clerk of session in that Presbyterian church. The free Presbyterian church was a, just a few years old, maybe a year old at this stage, but they were in the church that had the church uh, that the free Presbyterian church had broken away from. This man was clerk of session. And it's recorded that when strong allegations arose about the immoral conduct of the minister in that congregation, uh, this elder heard complaints from the congregation and evidence from the congregation. And he felt he should speak to the minister about these rumors and these concerns because, well, a bishop then must be blameless. And there were many accusations. And so he went and he spoke to the minister. The minister denied the allegations. And he treated this man as if he was the accuser himself. Later, he was at his farm. And the minister arrived with two of his elders. It said that the minister had maybe a little too much to drink. He was reputed to be something of an amateur boxer. And he took his clerk of session and he battered him. And he punched him. And they later left and joined the Free Presbyterian Church. The story isn't made up. It's recorded. It's on one of our church websites, given the history of that particular congregation. It happened. And that's how some men appointed to that office have acted. And that's a warning. It's a warning against everything we see here. Everything we see here because it goes against love and care. It goes against blamelessness. It goes against being up to teach. It goes against this next important element, the qualification of temperance. Temperance. Verses 2 to 3. Vigilance, sober, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Here we see aspects of Christian living again. And what is temperance? It is the quality or characteristic of moderation or self-restraint. It can refer to restraint with alcohol or self-control with the setting aside of temper. The elder and, of course, the believer who is living close to the Lord should be vigilant, sober, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, does not have a love of money, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not covetous, that's connected again with the love of money, desiring things that others have and desiring things that we cannot 
legitimately have ourselves, or a brawler. Rather, he should be a patient man. The term vigilant means sober and temperate. It can have (coughs) that aspect to the abstaining of alcohol. Such a man then is free from being overcome by excesses, passions, or even acting rashly. He's a man who is worry, worry and cautious. He's a man who must make decisions and tough decisions, but cautiously and wisely and with understanding because he is, has that teachable spirit. He's not to be hesitant making right decisions, but he's to be careful that he does make the right decision. The definition of the word sober in the Greek indicates to us of a sound mind seen in one's senses, curbing one's desires and impulses, self-controlled, temperate. And there's an implication here. The elder is to be a sensible man. And men who lead the church and Christian men in general should be men who are wise and prudent. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs again says, So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. The elder, the Christian, dear believer, you are to be wise. A wise man, a wise woman. And how do we become wise? It's the working of God within us. It's the applying of His truth within our hearts. It's that teachable spirit. That teachable spirit. The elders are to be wise. They're to act wisely. Wisely. There are many dangers the church faces today. Many dangers in worship. Many acceptable trends in worship that should be rejected. And the elder needs to be wise. Wise. Wise to stand against them. Not to turn around and say, well, we can fill our pews if we embrace this idea. And if we bring this into the church. And, you know, we'll get more people coming. We'll be more acceptable to society. For the elders to worship God and lead and govern that worship as God is directed in His Word. He's to be a man who is sober-minded, a man who has self-control. If we turn to Acts chapter 20 again, uh, we'll see something of this because the work of the elder involves protecting the flock of God and to have wisdom. And the apostle warns these elders, verse 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not spurring the flock. The elder is to be sober and he is to be wise and he is to be in control. Because he has a great duty of protecting the flock of God. And verse 32. And now, brethren, how can these elders do this work? Paul commends them to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. They were insufficient themselves to do this work. But God is sufficient. Dear believer, for us to be self-controlled. For us to exhibit these traits of Christian living. We can't do it ourselves. We need to be commended to the grace of God, which is able to build you up, build you up. The elder is not to be drunk. We see that in verse 2, not given to wine. He cannot make the necessary spiritual decisions and take spiritual oversight if he is intoxicated. 
He must have a clear mind. Of course, as a denomination, we take a position of abstinence for members, and therefore pastors, elders, and deacons fall under that as well. Abstaining uh, from alcohol and from the dangers of alcohol. He's not to be a striker, verse 3. Uh, this is the re a reference, and if we look at the brawler as well, this is a reference uh, that he is not to be quarrelsome, uh, that he is not to be ready for bruising. He's not to be a fighter. He's not to punch first and ask questions later. This can be violent. This can be physical. This can be verbal. It en en encompasses all this violent and abusive activity such as bullying. The elder is not to bully. He is not to threaten. He's not to issue threats to promote his own ideas. That's a sorry sight when that does happen. There should be grace, patient, gracious, loving. These things are not the behavior of a Christian, never mind an elder. And Paul is saying an elder must not do these things. He is a shepherd. He's tender-hearted. I want you to turn to John 11, and we see something else here regarding this idea of shepherding. John chapter 11, we have the good shepherd in view. And the shepherd is the one who cares for the flock and who comforts the flock and who protects the flock. And uh, the Savior mentions as well those who are hirelings. Those who are hirelings. He speaks about those who are just giving wages. Just giving wages. It's just a job. The work of eldership or the work of ministry is just a job uh, to these individuals. And I'm looking here and I don't see... Uh, the verse that I had in mind. Uh, but the good shepherd, the Savior is the good shepherd. And there are those who are hirelings. They're just paid. It's paid employment. 40 hours a week. You go out and you work and you come home. You don't really care about how well your company does. You put in your effort. Yes, but the work of an elder goes beyond that. It is a calling. It is a calling. And therefore, the elder must be a gentle man. He's not to be a quarrelsome man. He's not to be argumentative. There's a need for debate in the right frame and spirit of mind. But he's not seeking to come to every discussion, to go through the congregation, causing division and causing debates and causing arguments. He should not let his emotions get the better of his judgment. And how true that is of all of us as well. Being united, not dividing ourselves, not causing division. We see here as well the love of money, filthy lucre. The love of money is the root of all evil. Wealth is not a requirement for spiritual service, but loving, not loving money and being obsessed by money or not being obsessed by money is a requirement. Money matters should be handled well and above board. 
within the church of Christ. And the elder is not to love money, and he is not to be obsessed by it. He doesn't care about those things. He might make a lot of money. God may have blessed him with a lot of money, but that is not his driving force in life. If that money left him and he had nothing, he would still be happy. He still would be a man fit for eldership. He would still be a man who loves the Lord. Of course, if that money left for legitimate means, of course. So we have these qualifications. And Paul is saying the church needs men and men like this. And of course, these qualifications, the godly characteristics apply to us all. The church needs men and women with these godly characteristics. The church needs men as elders with these godly characteristics. Men who put the Lord first, who are an example in holiness and godliness. John Calvin, when he preached on this theme, he said, and he prayed, now let us cast ourselves down before the face of our good God, acknowledging our faults and beseeching Him so to help us feel them that we may resolve to amend our lives, striving always to that end, even as we grieve for our infirmities. And since we owe our gracious God a great, so great a debt, may He sustain us in His infinite goodness until He has fully clothed us with His righteousness and has formed us according to His glorious image. What is Calvin saying? These things apply. Yes, they apply to us all. Let us look to the Lord. Let us acknowledge our faults. Let us grieve for our infirmities. And let us seek that God would do that work within us, that we would have that godly testimony, that there would be men within the congregation who are qualified to be elders, that the elders of the congregation would continue to be good elders by God's grace. That every believer within the congregation would be godly and loving toward God and toward each other. May the Lord bless His Word this morning for His name's sake. Amen. And we're going to, <coughs> going to turn on our hymnals, the hymn 352. 352, like a river glorious, is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. 352 will stand as we sing, please.
Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for our Savior. We thank Thee for His love toward us. We thank Thee that uh, there is perfect peace and rest for those who trust in the Savior. And Father, we pray that each one of us would be resting in Christ. We would know His work, the power of Thy Spirit within our lives for sanctification. And Lord, we pray that Thou would enable us to live for Thee and to serve Thee as Thou would will. We pray Thou would bless us, take us to our homes in safety, bring us again to Thy house this night, and may the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.